0: Good morning! I guess you heard about Stephen and Holly and little Evelyn Elizabeth who was born yesterday at 5 p.m. Did you hear that? 7.2 pounds, 19 inches. You heard about that? Okay. I think it's great. I think I predict right now that she's going to grow up to be an author of some distinction and her initials will be E E Elliot. Doesn't it eh hey, that doesn't that sound right, you know? Author E E Elliot has published a new novel. <laughs> it just feels right to me. Well, good morning. You know what else uh, cuz it's just cuz I'm in the mood, but uh, this last week I read an article and it was titled, Young People Don't Want Hip Pastors Anymore. I thought, wow, I had that going for me. <laughs> this month is First Fruits, and so today and next Sunday and the Sunday after, I'm going to be focusing on giving, Thanksgiving, giving, thanksgiving, and uh, I really kind of trace this back to Jesus himself, but we're going to look at the harvest today, we're going to look at treasure next Sunday, and then faithfulness the following Sunday, and all three of these principal ideas are rooted in things Jesus taught. You can see there from Matthew 7-2, the harvest with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. A treasure, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that's from Matthew 6.21. And then faithfulness, faithful in little, faithful in much, Luke 16.10. So we'll be looking at that today. I'm not going to go to Matthew 7, 2, but actually we're going to look at Galatians uh, chapter 6, verses 7, 8, 9, and 10, particularly 7 through 10. And uh, there's the principle of harvest. That's at the heart of what Paul has to teach us in Galatians chapter 6, the final verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Speaking of the harvest... How about them Cubs, huh? Yeah, and if you were praying in the bottom of the ninth, I thought this should apply. Can you read that? Yeah, FYI, if you made any promises during the bottom of the ninth, services start at. How many of you saw the seventh game of the Cubs-Cleveland Cubs-Indians game? Great. Yeah, it was. Uh, I'm. I. You know. I. I was written for either team. I think I was leaning a little bit toward the Cubs. I, you know, I got to the point where, hey, I'm going to cry for those who lose and rejoice for those who win. It, it just was, was that kind of a game. But, but I do have some connections to the Cubs, and I was kind of leaning toward the Cubs um, because, for sure, many fans over the years, longed for that championship that we got to witness, but they 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 weren't there to see it because they didn't live long enough. I mean, 108 years, that's a long time. Uh, I think there was one, there was one dear fan, she's 108 and she got to see their first champion or their last championship and this championship, she's 108. Um, so anyway, um, but this guy really touched me. This gentleman uh, promised his dad that if the fans, if they, if the Cubs ever got to the championship, that they would they would be together during the games, and uh, they would enjoy those games together. Well, his dad didn't live long enough, but he kept his promise to his dad, and so every night of every game he went out to the cemetery and he set up his folding chair. And I don't know if he's watching the game or listening to the game, but he's doing it there in honor of his dad and his promise to his dad. And and that that was pretty moving to me. There's another picture of him. But, you know, he's like a a symbol of so many uh, that remembered their parents' dad's Granddads who were huge fans of the Cubs. They never gave up on the Cubs, and uh, and yet they didn't live to see them win a championship. And in fact, uh, the walls of Wrigley were covered with the scrawl of remembrances. Hey, Grandpa. Hey, Dad. You know, thinking of you. Wished you'd been here. Uh, keeping the faith. You know, and uh, they were celebrating in a way uh, the harvest with those who had gone. Uh, before them. I've been to Wrigley twice during the 90s, and uh, I've seen those brick walls. Got to hear Harry Carey himself saying, take me out to the ball, ball game uh, in the seventh inning. And uh, so I feel a little connection to the Cubs. They have a, a rally, a rally cry. And I'll bet all the Cubs fans know it. It is Emus Cthulhu. Emis Catuli. There you can see it. That's on the. Uh, I think it's the South Shore. Oh, I may give that East Shore. Uh, baseball club. It's right outside the stadium. It's one of the one of the high rise just across the street from the outfield fence, the outfield wall, and they've even built stands up above. And you can see, Emis Catuli, It's Latin for Go Cubs. Go Cubs. So, don't forget that. Emas Ketuli. Go Cubs. It actually means, go whelps. But we know that they're referring to Cubs, so. (laughs) This whole week, I had my own rally cry. And it was, so to the Spirit. So to the Spirit. It's from... Galatians chapter 6. Let's let's read that together. Verse 7. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh and from the flesh All week long, my rally cry was "So to the Spirit, John, so to the spirit kind of preach to yourself um, i'm I'm feeling a little under the weather today, but this last week has been hard. It started Sunday afternoon it got worse on Monday and it really was full blown on Wednesday I lost my voice pretty much altogether and I've been feeling a little bit better, but even this morning I'm feeling. Yucky. And, uh, and uh, I'm just preparing myself. I'm still saying to myself, so to the Spirit, John, so to the Spirit. That's our rally cry as Christians. Paul didn't just say so to the Spirit. He had other expressions, all just as pointed. And I've used them in the past. In fact, I often close out an email with, walk in the Spirit, make it a great day. Walk in the Spirit, make it a great day. If you walk in the Spirit, you will make it a great day. That comes from just the previous chapter, chapter 5, verse 16. Paul says in chapter 5, verse 16, walk after the Spirit or in the Spirit. We've had those occasions where we think, if I only knew what to do, I wish somebody would show me what I should do here. Or somebody, give me some direction, some instruction to help me. Paul is answering that question for us with walk after the Spirit. Follow Him. Seek His guidance and pursue His will, His ways. This isn't the only place that ta- Paul talks like that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse, chapter 5, verse 18. He says, be filled with the Spirit. He doesn't say walk after the Spirit this time. He uses a, a different illustration. These come from, from everyday life. He says, be filled with the Spirit. And then he says, don't be inebriated. Don't be intoxicated with wine. In other words, when you look at the comparison, he's saying you should be under the influence of the Spirit. When he's talking about being filled with the Spirit, he's talking about being under the Spirit's influence, swayed by the Spirit, directed by the Spirit led by the Spirit encouraged by the Spirit, helped by the Spirit. And what kind of encouragement, what kind of help, what kind of direction would the Spirit give you? It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. It's always about Jesus. And although I didn't plan to say this, I'll just throw it in, it's a bonus. In chapters 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel of John, you'll pick up all the information you need where Jesus himself is saying, I must send you another. I'm not going to leave you bereft, but he who is like unto me is going to come. And it's better that I go away because the Spirit will actually be with you. You can't just walk beside me and be with me all the time. And now I have to leave and go and return to the Father. But I'm going to send another who will be just as effective, in fact, more effective, because he will indwell you. He will remind you of my, my teachings. He'll tell you what... You need to know, even as the Father has told me. He is the, he who proceeds from me and from the Father, the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus died and conquered death and rose again to newness of life, not just ordinary old Secondary human life, not life after Adam, as Paul talks about in the letter of Romans chapter 5, or as he does in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, not the life that is after Adam, not the life that on your very, very best day would be your very, very best day of buoyant, effervescent, virtuous life. He says new life life after God, life in the Spirit. And that Spirit, when he rose to the right hand of the Father, having conquered death, and took his seat at the right hand of power, The promise of the Holy Spirit was given unto Jesus, as we're told in Acts chapter 2, and Jesus poured out his Spirit on those who are of the household of faith. His people, those who believe in him, those who live for him, those who call him Lord and Savior. The Spirit is indicative, it is the characteristic of his people. The Spirit is not an accoutrement. It's not an add-on. It's not a bonus. It's essential to our life in Christ. So yes, Paul says, walk after the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. But he doesn't stop there. This is central in his letter to the Romans, which many scholars say, is kind of his magnum opus. It comes toward the latter half of his ministry, after he's struggled and written and done so much in the churches that he's gone about to plant. And now, in a rather reasoned way, he presents his whole gospel to those living in Rome, because his hope is to go to Rome. And he did, under guard, and was imprisoned. But in anticipating a trip to Rome, not under guard and not in prison, he wanted to tell them what he was all about and what the gospel that he presented and represented was all about because he hoped that they would support him when he wanted to push beyond Rome, beyond Italy, even on to Spain and to further west. He wanted as the apostle to the Gentiles, he wanted to touch everyone with this good news. And in that chapter of the eighth chapter of his book, and everything has been painting a picture up to that, chapter eight is so pivotal in his letter. He begins, there is therefore now no condemnation in Jesus Christ to those who love him. And he goes on immediately to talk about the Holy Spirit. And he says, set your minds on the things of the Spirit. So... In his letter to the Ephesians, he says, be filled with the Spirit under the Spirit's influence. In the letter to the Galatians, in the previous chapter, chapter 5, he says, walk after the Spirit, follow the Spirit, let the Spirit lead you. In his pivotal letter to the Romans, the 8th chapter, he says, set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And in each of those passages, he is contrasting being living in the Spirit and not living according to the flesh. Now many people think, and you've heard me say this before, but it it must be repeated, living in the flesh is what you do naturally. It is your default operation as a human being. You live in the flesh. You operate in your own power, your own strength. And there have been panes and many odes and poems and songs to living in your flesh. Do it your way. Live in your independence. Be all that you can be. But Paul is saying that in Christ, there's something even greater and better, and that is in the Spirit. And so he contrasts, contrasts the flesh and the Spirit. Are you following me? The flesh is you in your own strength, in your own independence. I did it my way. And many times, that is the battleground when you come to Christ. In faith, you want to live in his power, in his strength, in his love, with his heart, with his ways. But your natural bent is to be selfish and to think, I can do this better myself. Lord, I don't need you. If I really need you, I'll call on you. But otherwise, hang loose. I'm going to navigate life. I'm going to do life my own way. Now, if you think through an average day, you might realize you're doing that way too much. You're trying to live the Christian life in your own strength and power. And that's not the way you were designed in Christ to live. And if you're frustrated, or you are becoming bifurcated, that is, there is a division between you, the Christian, and you, the you, it's because you're not living as you ought to, integrated in integrity as one piece in Christ. And that is a life of faith. And a a constant life, as much as you grow in it, it becomes habitual through practice of saying, I want you, I want to do this your way, Lord. You take control of my life. You take control of the words that I form with my lips. You take control of the way I hear the things I hear. I'm not saying you can't hear things, but you shouldn't just hear them and believe them all. You should evaluate them in light of who Christ is. It's a new reality. It's a new worldview, And it's in combat with the one that you've grown up with outside of Christ. It's in combat with the one in which you live in your flesh. That's why Paul says here, He says, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the flesh. And it's corruption, it's decay, it's depravity, it's rotting. It's not the pink of youth. It's the gray of death. That's where it's going. And that's the natural aging process to reinforce that law. But he says, if you sow to the Spirit, you are sowing to life everlasting, and that life, listen now, that life is not just at the end of the line, not just beyond death, not just in the far future. Do you realize That when the Spirit was poured out, you were actually invested with the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the verification of the resurrection. The Spirit was the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That power, Paul says, is resurrection power that is in your life and in mine. And we can live by that through faith, when we walk in the Spirit. So, all this week, with those things in mind, walk in the Spirit. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Be filled. Be under the influence of the Spirit. I was saying, so to the Spirit, John so to the Spirit. I know all the things that I just told you that I want you to know. All the truth that is so precious to me, I've just just poured it out. I'm in a sweat. Because I want you to know it. I want you to get it. I know it. I just said it. I said it to you. And yet, all through the week, it's a battle for me. When I'm feeling lousy and there are interruptions, my native response is I'm not feeling well. Can't somebody give me a break? Do I have to do this now? that only illustrates what is true for your life and in mine. Even when we're on a mission for Christ, to keep our attitude right, to keep our thinking straight, to keep our eyes on who we are and what we're doing, we have to operate in an awareness of Jesus Christ in our lives and the power of His Spirit. And we have to constantly surrender to Him. And that's what I want us to appreciate. I'm going to go through these three verses, 10, 9, and 8, backwards, as we sow to the Spirit. Do good to everyone. Do good to everyone. That is such a benign statement. It is not sexy at all. It doesn't inspire. It doesn't encourage. But this is what we were created for. In fact, Paul says, you are God's handiwork. Just think of that for a moment. In Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10, Paul says, you are God's handiwork. Now listen to the rest of the verse. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. Now, just think about that. Just try to comprehend that for a, a, a brief second. What Paul is saying is that in Jesus Christ, what is being launched in your life was begun, was hatched in the secret counsel of God's own heart before the foundation of the world. God's master plan included good works that you should be doing. You will begin to do. You will be preoccupied with doing. It will become your heart to do, your desire to do. When you are born in Christ, that will begin to be realized. God saw that all in advance, and that master plan included you through Jesus Christ, and it is to be launched in your life and mine now. And here in Galatians chapter 6, the climax, it's very clear in the Language in which Paul wrote, this is the sum. So then, he says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. W. H. Auden said, you and I are here to do good for others. What the others are here for, I don't know. <laughs> Makes me think of that bricklayer story. Guy walks by, there are bricklayers working. <clears throat> he says, What are you doing to the first bricklayer? He says, I'm building a fence. I'm building a wall. He goes to the next bricklayer, and the next bricklayer says, I'm building a cathedral. What a difference. You see, it's not the good works that are so. That's not where the birth of good works begins. It begins in the purpose and the calling that each and every one of us fulfills in Jesus Christ. That's our potential in him. And it may seem small. It may be overlooked. There may be no fanfare. There may be no rally. There may be nobody riding on the bricks of the wall. But that's what you and I do each and every day. But God knows, he sees. And you and I become expressions of the good works that he wants, how he weaves, he's the creator, he's the master artist, he takes our part and he weaves it into something greater. That's what I'm remembering during the week. That's what I'm remembering when I think of, set your mind on the things of the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, walk after the Spirit. Sow to the Spirit, John, sow to the Spirit. That's why we remember the harvest. Imagine the harvest. In verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. That is enemy number one. Enemy number one. You lose sight of the harvest. You lose sight of how significant your good is in the hands of God. We think, what's it going to do for me? That was the mentality when I'm not feeling well, and there are interruptions, and there are an upset to my plans, and things don't go the way I expect. That's when I need to sow to the Spirit Especially because what comes over you is a selfishness that sinks into your body. He says, that shouldn't have happened. That person should have been more faithful. They should have kept their word. They promised to do this. They didn't do it, and it upsets us. And we feel justified. We feel justified in holding a grudge against them, having bitterness fill our heart, that poison, And there's no spirit to do good in that. But you see, if you sow to the Spirit, what it does, as you sow to the Spirit, is it dispels the bitterness and the fleshly resentments that come with sacrifice. And the beauty of the thing is, is because you're thinking, I'm sowing unto the Lord. I'm sowing in the Spirit, and God is going to use this for things that may not benefit me, but benefit others in a way that are a part of God's goodness because he is always good to me. If we lose sight of the harvest, we get weary and give up. My father-in-law is a farmer. Shelly and I got married in 1974. Uh, That was uh, the year my mother died, and my dad had left the family a couple years before, so her family became very important to me. And Fred, Fred, that's my father-in-law's name, Fred was a man that I greatly admired, and I still do. He was so buoyant in the Lord. This whole family that I married into, were vibrant in their Christian love and faith. It was a beautiful family that, that in a sense, adopted me when I had no family. And I've greatly admired Fred. Well, he'd been a dairy—he worked a dairy. He actually delivered milk for years until his elbows gave out from carrying milk crates. But he'd get up early in the morning, milk the cows, then go do run the dairy, because farming is tough. I mean, it's thin a lot of the time. He invested in grapes and he grew grapes. Had a lucrative contract for his grapes, growing a a rather special uh, breed of grapes. And in the mid-80s, while Shelley and I were over in the Bay Area, We would come every several times a year and visit, but it was during those times that I saw Fred was crushed because two years in a row he lost his grapes to frost and he... Here's my point. If there's no harvest, it can destroy your faith, hope, and love. Think, let that sink in. If there's no harvest, it will destroy your faith, hope, and love. And I saw it crush him, change him. He lost his spirit. He lost his fight. The weight of debt, the weight of hope lost. He's rebounded, but the point I want to make is that if there's no harvest, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, if this increasingly atheistic materialistic world in which we live which says there is no god there is no hope there is no future there is no purpose if that wins and it is taking over the culture even in this political campaign i'm 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 not hearing of a brave frontier from any of the candidates, as we heard from JFK, John F. Kennedy. I'm not hearing of a thousand points of light, like we heard from H.W. Bush. There's a loss of hope. Yeah, there's a tomorrow. There's a tomorrow. But happy endings are fewer and fewer. Movies. Dark. Dark dark. The exploration is the dark soul of man and everything, and our culture is following pace. It's considered thin and superficial to talk about good and happy things and hopeful things and a bright future. There is no bright future. Increasingly, life is oriented to no future at all. But not for you and me as the Christian. We have a future. Do not sell out that bright hope that causes you to sow in the Spirit at your own cost, knowing that there's a harvest, knowing that the resurrection confirms the defeat of death and the victory of God and he who is good will reward those who do good and live for him. He will win in the end, and we can sacrifice. We can absorb the debt of sacrifice. We can take the hit in the meantime because we're doing good. We're sowing to his spirit. We're sowing unto eternal life. And that's what I want to encourage you with. And that is why we sow with sacred expectations. That expression, sacred expectations, just made my heart sing this week. It comes from A.W. Tozer. He said, with a sacred expectation, I look for God in all the circumstances of my day. With a sacred expectation, I look to God with all the circumstances of my day. You see, do good, in verse 10, is based on a certain harvest that causes us not to grow weary and not to give up. To realize you have a purpose, your life has meaning, and what you do good counts. It makes a difference in the hands of God and in the lives of others. And it's rooted in it's rooted in a principle. What you sow, you will reap. And that's verse 8, verse 7. So that is my encouragement to you this morning. So do the Spirit. You have the validation, you have the round of it, but I just want to close with this thought. In chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 of Galatians, he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. It's love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Think with me just for a moment. That should really encourage you. That's, That's what doing good looks like. Those Fruits of the Spirit that doing good comes out of the Spirit in your life working in your life Sowing to the Spirit walking after the Spirit being filled with the Spirit That all produces that fruit He says against such things there is no law Look down your page at verse 2 Paul begins he says Bear the burdens of one another. Be a bearer of burdens. Be a burden bearer. And then what does he say? He says, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ? Yes, the law of Christ. The law of love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and your neighbor, your neighbor, and your neighbor is anyone, as well as the household of faith, your neighbor as yourself. That was the law of Christ, the heart of his teaching. But then Jesus himself went to the cross. Listen, he embodied, not just in the incarnation, but he embodied that law of love, that law which fulfills the law and the prophets, that law he embodied in going to the cross and in rising again. That is our law. It's the law of Christ. This morning, his law is a law of love. And when we sow to the Spirit, we can think of Jesus sowing his life into yours and mine when he went to the cross. That's what we remember this morning in the bread and the cup. Let's just take a minute to meditate, just maybe 30 seconds, and then I'll, I'll pray and we'll receive the bread and the cup.